Uh, can I just say that this has been one of the most difficult sermons to prepare for I've ever experienced in over almost 32 years of, of being at Oak Mountain. Uh, I kid you not, and I'm not saying this to you know, sound like I'm a, a good worker or anything like that, but I was up till 1.30 last night because I was, I was completely changing the message and uh, still didn't feel good about it. I get up at 5.30, still don't feel good about it, so I'm sorry, you're just stuck with whatever you get here this morning. But I, I mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians 3 is actually very practical. It's how do we as Christians relate to the Old Testament? We're not just New Testament Christians, but we're not Old Testament Christians either. So how do we read the Old Testament and, and all the laws given to Israel? How, how do they relate to us as believers in Christ? I think the uh, best way I can put it is give you an illustration. Uh, you have all heard of trusts, and I may get some of this not exactly right, but you know what a trust is. A, a trust is something that you work through with uh, an attorney, a financial planner as a group, and uh, especially if you've been blessed uh, with wealth. Now, you don't have to be wealthy, but let's just say in this situation, the parents are very, very wealthy. Let's say, let's say they have $500 million, and they have a, a young child, and, uh, you know, certainly you'd never want anything to happen to a family, but if tragedy struck, and while the child was small, if the mother and father were taken out of the picture, you wouldn't want a three-year-old making decisions on how to receive and spend $500 million. Just would not be a good idea. So you, you write up a trust, and the trust ends up putting the money uh, under guardianship, if you will. You can write in the stipulations of, of who will be the guardian and how will the child uh, utilize the money, how much can they utilize, and what ways that can they utilize, all those kinds of things. Now, while the child is small and young, it's still learning about life. It's still learning wisdom. Uh, it's still learning about finances. So you want a lot of limitations, a lot of regulations, in the trust. Now, in the same document, this isn't a separate document, in the same document, things change depending on the age of the child. So let's say uh, there's a certain age where they're going to college. So at 18, there's certain stipulations that create more freedoms uh, for the young adult than they had as a child. Uh, and then let's say they graduate and they have a job. Uh, and then maybe there's more freedoms and less stipulations written into the trust. But you can have the trust written in such a way that there might be limitations uh, until they're much, much older. Well, this is a great illustration of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, the Old Testament, or it's also called the Old Covenant, is actually the first initial revelation of God's one covenant of grace. So using the illustration, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation presents us with the trust fund of grace. 
Our Father has all the resources in the universe. And He's created a trust by which we are able to to enjoy the benefits of our inheritance. But the Old Testament is the church under age. The church as a minor. And so the old covenant of the law comes with all kinds of limitations, all kinds of stipulations, all kinds of rules to follow. And then as Christ appears on the scene, it's the same covenant of grace, but some of the stipulations and limitations are taken out of the way. Now, the law isn't taken out of the way, but our relationship to the law has changed. And the old covenant was presenting our need for Christ and the coming of Christ in shadows, in types, in figures. So it wasn't exactly clear. But when Christ came and the church comes of age and we're adults, we enter into the full understanding of the benefits of our inheritance. So this is the way, as Christians, we look at the entire Bible. It's one covenant of grace administered differently in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They are not Two separate covenants. So when you hear the word new covenant, it's not like it's something brand new that has no relation to what goes before in the Old Testament. It's simply the newest and final group of revelations and stipulations concerning the one covenant of grace. And this enables us to truly understand how the Old Testament applies to us. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. We don't believe in this huge uh, break with the old, that that, uh, they're completely separate documents. But we do believe you need to properly understand the place of the Old Testament in the Christian's life. Now, why is this so important? Because 2 Corinthians 3 addresses false teachers that blow into Corinth. And they're trying to tell the Corinthians after Paul has led them to faith in Christ that Jesus only got you started. If you really want to experience the full benefits of your inheritance in the trust then you need to become Jewish. To really be a good Christian, you need to become a faithful Jew. And Paul says if people really begin doing that, they're going to be living as true adults who are choosing to go back under the trust of all the limitations and regulations of a minor. And Paul says, why would you do that? The purpose of the law was to actually prepare you and lead you to Christ, the fulfillment. And yet the sad thing is there are so many followers of Christ that are moving back to what it meant to be a child in the trust fund. And they're gauging 
God's favor and blessing and delight and approval on their performance under the old covenant rather than boldly resting in the performance of Christ of all the law and fulfilling it on our behalf so that we could enter into the fullness of the wonder of the covenant of grace. Well, hopefully I haven't completely lost you and you're still with me and you're more interested than ever of understanding how we're to relate to the Old Testament. So let's all stand in a reverence for God's Word. And I'll read 2 Corinthians 3, verses 6 to 18. And hopefully, uh, the chapter will actually make sense now that I've introduced it. Uh, it's going to talk about uh, Moses' face shining after he received the law. Uh, that's in Exodus 34, after God gave him the Ten Commandments, etched the, the letters on, on, on the stone tablets. When Moses came down, his face was glowing, shining with God's glory. But it was a fading glory. So Moses put a veil on so that the Israelites wouldn't gaze into this fading glory. And it was a sign from God that the old covenant were just temporary restrictions and stipulations administering the covenant of grace, and it would give way to the newer part of the covenant of grace. Hope that all makes sense. Hopefully it will as I read. It says, first of all, in verse 6, that God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Again, not brand new, something totally different. The one covenant of grace, the one trust, just the part now that deals with the minor who's become a full-fledged adult. Not of the letter, that is the law, the Ten Commandments, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, again, that's the the law, it brings death, carved in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit, the New Covenant, have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the Old Covenant, the ministry of righteousness, the New Covenant, must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, the Old Covenant, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it, the New Covenant. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, the Old Covenant, much more will what is permanent have glory, the New Covenant. Since we have such a hope as New Covenant believers, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, the Old Covenant. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Only in Christ do we enter the adulthood stage of the covenant of grace. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the old covenant, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, new covenant, 
the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, new covenant, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us, and He wants us to comprehend the whole counsel of His Word. He wants us to understand that Genesis to Revelation is one covenant of grace, but it is administered differently in the Old Covenant than it is in the New Covenant. May God bring us peace and joy in believing as we look at His Word. Let's pray. God, this can sound so complex, but it's so relevant because so many of us, uh, by our sinfulness and brokenness, and, and even by some people around us, we're, we're being pushed back into being a minor when you mean for us to live as adults. So Lord, make it clear today and change us and increase our hope in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, three ways we experience strength and weakness. We, we live broken lives. The theme of the, of the series is strength and weakness. And we can experience real different strength and power in the midst of our weakness as we trust in the new covenant. First of all, experience strength and weakness through a right use of the law. So the old covenant, the first initial administration and revelation of the one covenant of grace involve the giving and receiving of the law. The law was sort of the mediator of the covenant of grace between God and His people. Now, the old covenant, that old administration of dealing with God through the law, that passes away. That fades away. And in Christ, the reality comes. But the law itself doesn't fade away. Only our relationship to the law as a minor versus being an adult changes. So how do we use the law as a Christian? Well, the first thing I want you to see is notice three times in this text, Paul reminds us that the old covenant is fading away. Verse 7, verse 11, verse 13, they use the same exact words. That which was being brought to an end. Okay, it was always God's plan for the old covenant to be given to the people under age, minors in the trust called grace. And the law was always there to point us to the fulfillment of the covenant of grace, which has been Christ all along. The old covenant used laws, moral law, uh, civil law that Israel had as a government as well as a church, and the ceremonial law, uh, how Israel was to worship and the sacrifice. And, and all of those things put together pointed the people to Christ. Now, how do we use the law now as Christians? Well, look at verses 6 and 7. Uh, Paul says, the law kills, the letter 
kills the ministry, verse 7, of death. Okay, the law puts to death our own self-reliance. The law puts to death our own self-sufficiency. The law puts to death any hope of self-righteousness. It is the purpose of the law not to be a ladder by which we climb up into the favor of God. But the purpose of the law is actually to reveal no matter how hard you try, you can't climb high enough. You don't have the capacity. The only thing the law can do is put you to death. To realize that because we've disobeyed God, we are spiritually dead. And there's no way we can resurrect ourselves. The law also condemns us, Paul says in verse 4. The only thing the law can do is point out our failure. Because James says, unless you've kept the law at every single point, you're guilty of breaking all of it. And with the breaking of the law comes condemnation and wrath before an infinitely holy God. He's a loving God, but we can't experience that love because the law condemns us. And we still need the law to do that work. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to be exposed to the death-dealing blow of the law, to realize you have no hope if you're trusting in your own efforts and goodness to take away your sin and bring you to heaven. The law was put into place to drive us to self-despair of ever achieving and attaining our own righteousness before God, so that having no other recourse, we would cast ourselves helplessly and completely upon grace in the finished work of Christ. The, The purpose of the law is to point us to Christ, who is the only one who ever fulfilled the law. And then he took upon himself, after fulfilling the law with an obedient life, he took upon himself the wrath and condemnation and death that the law leads to. So he lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we couldn't die. And the new covenant is we allow the law to lead us to Christ. And in Christ we're made full heirs of the trust that is called grace. And then in verse 17, we find out that the law enslaves. Only the new covenant, only the Spirit brings freedom. The the law only reminds us of how powerless we are in ourselves. So the law is always calling us to desperate dependence upon Christ. And in Romans 8, 4 It says the law was fulfilled in us who walk in the Spirit. So there is a purpose of the law. It convicts. It drives us to despair of our own righteousness. It leaves us no other recourse for hope, acceptance before God than grace. 
But there's also a use of the law in that it reminds us what love looks like. It reminds us what love for God looks like, what love for neighbor looks like. And even when we read the Old Testament and read of all the sacrifices, it reminds us of how much we need Christ. I mean, the the Old Covenant is filled with the noises every day of animals being slaughtered and their screams. It's filled with the smell of blood. Everywhere you went under the Old Covenant, it smelt of death. And that is to point us to life. And we're reminded that the law rightly applied is God's invitation to our highest delight through obedience. And His warnings, His kind warnings against our worst nightmares through disobedience. So, experience strength and weakness through a right use of the law. And then secondly, experience strength and weakness through a bold hope in the gospel. What does it mean to live as a new covenant believer, recognizing that it doesn't mean we're completely divorced from the Old Testament, but how does the gospel apply to the Old Covenant and to the law? Well, the first one uh, I've already talked about, and that is a bold hope in gospel righteousness, right? The law, the old covenant was a ministry of condemnation. The new covenant given to the church that has come of age in the trust called grace is a ministry of righteousness. We are declared righteous before God by virtue of our faith and trust in Christ's obedient life in substitutionary death. Gospel righteousness. We are non-condemnable by the law now. The law can no longer condemn the Christian. The law hasn't changed. The Christian has. We died with Christ on the cross, so we have died to our old, old relationship to the law. Now we're in a new relationship to the law by which we are non-condemnable. God looks at us in Christ as if we had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for us. And God looks at us as if we had already endured His wrath, anger, and disappointment because it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And spiritually and mysteriously, the Bible says, if we've trusted in Christ, we were crucified with Christ on the cross. And we are now dead to the threat of condemnation. Do you see how important understanding the covenant of grace in two different administrations, how important it is? How many of us are dealing regularly with shame and guilt and self-condemnation when that's not what God wants a new covenant adult to deal with. He's dealt with our shame and guilt and self-condemnation in Christ. And then secondly, there's a bold hope in gospel regeneration. Under the old covenant, the church as minors under age was given the law, the right and the wrong, and absolutely no power to achieve it. You got me? The law was all external. It was written on stone. 
It, it, it said what was right and what was wrong, but it didn't lift a finger to enable you to fulfill it. That was one of the limitations of being underage. You had no ability, just like children often have no ability. But in the new covenant, the, the fulfillment of the, the old covenant in the covenant of grace, the new covenant comes with the promise of the Spirit. God says in Hebrews 8 that refers to Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, I will make a new covenant. Again, not brand new, not completely new, but the newer stipulation of the trust of grace for the adult in grace. That's new, not brand new like it has no relationship to old. It's the same trust, just for different times. And God says, I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with your fathers. But he says, I will write my law on your hearts. The difference between the old administration of the covenant of grace and the new administration of the covenant of grace is that our, our fellow Christians before Christ, i.e. the believers in Israel, they had the law but no power to live it. The law was external to them. As the church coming of age, God writes the law on our hearts and he places the spirit within us and he moves us internally to love the law and to be motivated to follow the law of love that the law is summarized by. We not only have the law of God, but the power to live it. And then thirdly, there's a bold hope in gospel sanctification. Um, you cannot behave your way into a changed spiritual life. You can behave your way into new habits, but you cannot behave your way into spiritual transformation. It takes the work of the Spirit of God. So in verse 18, Paul says that, that we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another by beholding Christ. So in other words, Moses saw the glory of the old covenant fading and fading and fading and fading. But the glory of the new covenant is increasing, 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 increasing as we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. But it's not merely our behaviors that are transformed by simply trying to apply uh, moralism to external laws. No, the new covenant comes with the Spirit of God writing the law on our hearts, moving us, inspiring us, motivating us and empowering us to want to fulfill the law. So it's supernatural. And so Paul is saying to these false teachers, to the, to, the, to the Corinthians about the false teachers, why would you want to leave the realm of the supernatural and go back to the natural? I don't get it. Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself under the oppression of the law that condemns? And why would you put yourself back under naturalism instead of supernaturalism. Now, the, the supernaturalism was still there in the Old Covenant. The people of Israel saw God's presence act supernaturally more than we do. 
in many ways, right? And I know at times you might think, oh, I'd love to be part of Israel. Well, no, actually you wouldn't because that would be going back to being a child. And you'd have all these limitations and stipulations. And, oh, by the way, though you would see God work in supernatural ways, you wouldn't personally experience it in your heart the way you do as a child come of age in the trust fund called grace. You know, all this part of the message is is reminding us of a passage that I've used over and over and over and over and over. And that's Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, the people of Israel living under the old covenant, they sinned, and because they sinned, the law brings death. God sent venomous serpents as a word picture, and the poisonous serpents began biting the people, and they began to die. Exactly what the old covenant was supposed to do. But then they cried out for grace. They said, God, we have sinned. God said, okay, I'll show you where the old covenant is leading. Put a servant on a pole. When anybody looks at it in faith, supernatural power will be released. The venom will be neutralized and you'll live. Jesus uses Numbers 21 in John 3, 14 to 16. We all know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should never perish, but have eternal life. But John 3, 14 and 15 goes back to Numbers 21. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him will never perish, but have eternal life. The look of faith releases supernatural power so that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit. In the Old Covenant, the law was external, and you just tried really hard to do what was right. And when you failed, you had to go to the priest and do sacrifices. But that was it. Then you try harder next time. And there are so many people in the church today that still think that's the Christian life. You use the law, And you just try harder when you blow it. No, that's the old covenant. You use the law to expose you, to show your need for Christ, so that you look afresh to Christ. And supernatural power is released, so that you're supernaturally changed and transformed. And then thirdly and finally, experience strength and weakness through a full understanding of freedom. Lots of talk in our day about freedom, right? Freedom to do whatever I want. Freedom to live however I want. Freedom from all constraint. Freedom from all restraint. Is that what the new covenant is? I'm here to tell you no. That's not what it is. There are elements of freedom from some of the stipulations, regulations, and limitations of being a minor under the trust of grace. But we're also, in the New Covenant, free to live in a way where Israel really wasn't free to live because they lacked the power. So, for instance, we're free. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. First of all, Paul is saying, look at the continuity. This is the same God. That the same Lord, Yahweh, who gave the law, 
gave the old covenant as the first portion of the contract called the trust of grace, the same God also pours out the Spirit and sends Christ. The continuity is there, and the freedom is also there. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So freedom means freedom from and freedom for, or freedom to. So for instance, verse 9, the law was a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation. In Christ, in the new covenant fulfillment of the covenant of grace, we are free from condemnation. Now, do you realize how important that is? That means we can read the Old Testament, we can love the law, we can read the New Testament commandments of God as well and love them. Like I read for the call to worship this morning, 1 John 5, His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome because they can't condemn you. You're not performing for God's favor and delight and approval. You're obeying out of love and gratitude from God's already acceptance of you because of Christ fulfilling the law on your behalf. So you're free from condemnation. You're free from shame. You're free from guilt. It's like, oh, this is too good to be true. That's why it's called good news, people. It really is good news. You are free from ever being condemned by the law. If you know and hope and trust in Christ. We're free from spiritual blindness. Okay, when, when people under the Old Covenant uh, read the Old Covenant, they, they read it as if their hearts are veiled from seeing the truth. That the Old Covenant was just a temporary administration of the trust fund. And we're free to see that the law points us to Christ. That the old covenant was temporary, but the new covenant stipulations are eternal and permanent. We're also free to gaze upon the glory of God. Moses and the law, uh, it was all mediated to the people of Israel. Only Moses saw God. Only Moses' face shone with glory. The people were too afraid. But under the new covenant, we all with unveiled face. Did you catch that? Not Moses, but we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. Every single one of us. Now, you may not see the miracles that the church under age saw, but, but there's so much more glory and so much more supernatural in the new covenant as adults. The problem is, to experience this requires faith. Trusting in what we do not see. Hoping for what doesn't seem obvious. So it is faith that releases the power of the new covenant in our lives. So we are free from powerlessness of the old covenant and free for the supernatural nature of the Christian life. And that's why Paul fights against the false apostles so strongly. And he's battling for the hearts of the Corinthians. Do not go back under the old part 
of the trust because you're giving up all the freedoms and all the power of what's meant for you in this trust of grace. Galatians 5.1, Paul says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. There's two kinds of slavery. There's slavery to the law, to condemnation, to oppression, uh, to powerlessness, uh, to condemnation. But there's also slavery to license of lawlessness. That's more the world, right? Paul says don't be subject to either slavery. They're both slavery, whether it's slavery to the law's oppression or slavery to casting off our restraint. Stand for freedom in Christ. We're talking about the, uh, the gracious conversations on race that we're going to have. Uh, you think about Abraham Lincoln. In many ways, he was so far ahead of his time, recognizing uh, just the absolute wrongness of slavery. The story is told, and I'm sure it's an apocryphal story. I'm sure it's not truly real, but it's been told nonetheless many, many times, and it teaches a great point. That Abraham Lincoln uh, was trying to make a point about the, the wrongness of slavery and what could happen if, if it was outlawed. And uh, he went down to the slave trading uh, block, and he began bidding on a, on a female uh, African slave. And she looked at him, didn't know who he was, and thought, you know, great, here's another white man that's going to buy me and abuse me and use me. Abraham Lincoln kept bidding, and, and he was able to buy the African slave. She was given to him, and they were walking down the sidewalk, and Abraham Lincoln stopped and said, uh, Woman, you're free. She said, well, what do you mean? He said, woman, you are free to go and live. She said, so I'm free to speak what I think God wants me to speak? Yeah, you're free. I'm free to do anything that I feel God is calling me to do? Yeah, you're free. I am free to go anywhere God might be leading me to go. Abraham Lincoln said, yes, you're free. Go wherever God leads. And she said, and you bought me, and you're giving me freedom. Lincoln said, yes, you're free. She said, then I know what I want to do. And with tears streaming down her face, she said, I want to be and go wherever you are. That's what Jesus has done for us. He has purchased us with the value of his infinite blood. And he has said, you are free. You're free from condemnation, from fear, from shame and guilt, and you're free to do whatever you sense my Father is calling you to do. And when we really begin to understand the price Christ paid and the role that we have in the newer and newest and final stipulations of the trust of grace, we will look at him and say, well, then I've decided I know what I want to do. I want to go and 
wherever you are. Let's pray. Father, um, we do ask that this understanding of the old covenant and the new covenant, the, the one covenant of grace, it can all sound very confusing. But Lord, help us to understand that these are, these are concepts that we really need to, to grapple with. And, and if we go astray, we will fall into the same error of the Corinthians. And that is we'll live as children when you're calling us to live as adults. God, thank you for this incredible trust fund of grace, the riches of our inheritance in Christ. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus, we pray that today would be the day they realize the law can only kill. And it has killed. And if they don't know Christ, they are dead. But God, may today be the day they transfer their trust from themselves to Jesus, that they let the law do its work and preparing their hearts for Christ. God, for the rest of us, may we not ever go back under slavery, whether it's slavery to legalism or slavery to license. May we remain free in Christ, free from condemnation, free from oppression, and yet free as well from making shipwreck of our lives by disobeying your word. Holy Spirit, continue to work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.